and welcome to Happy, Funny, Amazing, the podcast where people tell me their happiest, funniest, and most amazing true stories. Today, we have a special treat, stories from two Canadian funny people, Jen Whalen from the Baroness Von Sketch Show and Dean Jenkinson, Artistic Director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival and very frequent guest on CBC Radio's hit show, The Debaters both of whom, coincidentally, worked with me during my time on This Hour Has 22 Minutes. So it's a bit of a mini reunion, kinda. They both tell me stories about new beginnings and how sometimes to get to a happy place, you have to take a difficult journey. Something I think we can all relate to as we emerge from this pandemic. Well, fingers crossed that we are emerging from this pandemic. Please tell me we're emerging from this pandemic. Anyway, first... Let's begin with a story from Jen Whalen. Okay, so hello, Jen Whalen. It's nice to see you. Hello. And so is your story today happy, funny, or amazing? Uh, my story today is a happy story. Aww. Yeah, I was um, I was asking my husband, actually, I was like, uh, my husband, David, I was like, oh, you know, uh, Joanne asked me to do this thing, and I'm really excited to do it. What, what story do you think I should tell? So we're talking about some stories. And then he was like, I think you should tell her about your vision board. And I was like, oh my gosh, because I have never told anybody about my vision board. In fact, David is the only person in the world who knows about my vision board. So, oh, well, I'm very flattered that you are telling the story. Might be a bit rambly, but this is my happy story about my vision board. So as uh, listeners may not know, but as obviously you do, we went to high school together. We've known each other for a very long time. So I was like chronically single for a long time like chronically. And during that dark time, I decided to make a vision board and I was kind of embarrassed. I still am kind of embarrassed about it. I have no judgment about people who make vision boards. I just feel like I am intrinsically not a person who makes a vision board. And can you give a few details about exactly what a vision board entails and what it is? So a vision board. So the idea of a vision board is you get like a piece of cardboard or something. Think about what it is that you, where you would like your life to be and what it is that you would like in your life. And then you go and you find these images and you kind of make a collage and you you paste them together. And then, and then, okay, for this vision board to work, (laughs) you're supposed to like leave it in a place that you'll see it every day. And then it's kind of along the lines of the secret it's kind of like positive manifestation and maybe because I was working as a comedian and in comedy rooms with mostly men at this point I think I could hear the roasting I would get if anyone found out that I made a vision board I think it's a I think it's a lovely idea that's an inspiring idea thank you and I think most of the world would be like get over yourself what is your problem but anyway for whatever reason I was so embarrassed by this vision board and I had a okay, slightly complex so this vision board was part of a larger, even more embarrassing thing that I don't think I've even told David, which was that in the height of my singledom, propelled by I had gone on this disastrous blind date with this guy. I showed up in a bar. I looked cute. And his face just felt like and he was just like I had ruined his day. And I was like. I don't understand what's going on. And he's sitting at a bar stool. And we, so we have a drink. I went out to the beach. I don't live in the beach. It's far. I'm like, well, I might as well just have a drink before I turn around and get on the streetcar and go home. And he's kind of a miserable guy. Like he, he worked for whatever that company was, Columbia Records, where you got all the CDs for a, I said, but this is like, oh, yeah. way after that's done. So I was like, what are they doing? I haven't seen their ads for years. Anyway, he just hated every aspect of his life. And he was such a downer. And I was like, what is this problem? Anyway, we go to get leave and I stand up off the bar stool and he only comes up to my chest. I'm five feet, 10 inches tall. And he was maybe five, three. And I'm like, oh, that's what it is. I'm taller than anyway. So we're leaving and he can't get away from me fast enough. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 
I can't get away from you fast enough. Let's just see how I've got it going on. You do not have it going on, sir. So anyway, <laughs> I get home and I like change my online dating profile. Be like, look, I'm 5'10". If that's not for you, that's fine. I wish you well. But like, just uh, this is. And then I start getting messages from foot fetishists who are like, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. They're like, you're tall. How big are your feet? Send me a picture of your feet. Can I have an old sneaker? Like I was just like, oh, no. So. I was feeling sorry for myself and I stumbled, uh, you know, when you're on your computer, single alone, and you've had a few glasses of wine. I stumbled on this book that was, I think it was called six weeks to manifesting your soulmate. Anyway, click. <laughs> Sounds like a bestseller. Right. Like, like, so something, again, like I would be too embarrassed to buy in a bookstore, but I was like, I can buy this anonymously. So it comes to my house. And one of the things it was like, it was like, you should make a vision board. So I've made this vision board. Another thing was you're supposed to make a list of a hundred things that you want in a partner, which is hard. That's a lot of things. Yeah. And then you're only supposed to date people that have like the top five or something, whatever. So anyway, I have done this thing. It is in the past and I am now dating my who would be my uh, my husband. So it's that early time when you're dating and, you know, when you're still trying to make a good impression and, you, you, you know, it's going well, but you're like, oh, it still could go either way. Anyway, we were out for a walk. He was like, wanted to use the washroom. We came into my apartment and I wasn't expecting it. And my vision board was out and he saw it. And I was like, oh, he saw my vision board. Oh, no. And of course, because he like, like cats go to the person who doesn't want the cat to sit on them. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, and he was so sweet about it. And I was so embarrassed. He's like, why are you embarrassed? I want you to tell me about your vision board. So I like have to walk him through like, well, I have this picture because I like this and this picture. And he was just like, I think this is amazing. So anyway, cut to, we have this very fast romance. We move in together. He will not let me throw out the vision board. We've been together 10 years. It has gone on every move. I keep finding it and I keep being like, can I throw this out? He's like, you cannot throw out your vision board. (laughs) Okay. And it's starting to get pretty tattered. Anyway, about a month ago, I was, as you do in this COVID time, reorganizing some stuff, found the vision board. Oh my God. So we sat down and looked at it and he was like, this is amazing. You do realize that everything you put on this vision board pretty much has happened. Can you give us some insight into what those things are? Yes. In fact, hold on. I'm going to grab my vision board. (laughs) Okay. So embarrassing. All right. So my vision board. So as you see on it, I was chronically single. So there's a lot of couples. There's like Julia Child and her husband, because I thought their love story was so sweet. But then I have all of these things like I have, I want to be on a television show that, that wins an awards. I want to travel. I want to go to cottages, like all of this stuff. So when I was explicit about how I want to be part of a television show that people love, but also critics love and I win awards for. And, and that is so true. Like that's yeah. so happened. That is truly inspiring. And then weirdly, I saw on Twitter... Uh, Issa Rae, who I adore, posted a picture of her vision board and she made a vision board before her show Insecure, which I absolutely love. And she was like, I got all the things, but she put on there that she wanted to get in good shape. And I'm like, so I was like, maybe I needed to make a new one. <laughs> like I have a really <laughs> tight bod and maybe that will get me out of the couch. So yeah, so so that's my vision board. And then another kind of weird, happy coincidence, when I was cleaning this out, thinking about the, the vision board, thinking about talking to you about it. I was looking for an old notebook that I had written some ideas in and uh, it was one I hadn't looked at in a really long time and I found it and I found the list of things uh, that you're supposed to write about your uh, partner and it's incredible like this list uh, you know of the hundred things my husband David is 85 of 
them. It's actually oh astonishing. And there was some padding there. Like there were some things in there like, um, somebody who likes to ski. I don't ski. I just thought maybe if I was with someone who skied, I would learn how to ski and enjoy winter more. Like it is just like <laughs> things that I don't care about. <laughs> that is such a happy, lovely, inspiring story. And I'm curious if you're comfortable answering. Sure. How long were you single before starting to date David? Because you said it was an extended period oh, of single. Oh my God. Life. It was like I was that person who at parties people would pimp me to tell my awful dating stories because I had so many of them that the one I told you was just the tip of the iceberg. So I, I've been, you know, pretty much single since my twenties. Like I'd had, you know, some little relationships the last six months, or so, but I really was not romantically successful at all. Well, David is lovely. Yes. He's lovely. So, so yeah, so if you're single and you're thinking, huh, I'm, I didn't meet him till I was 41. Well, thank you, Jen, for telling your happy story. That is a happy story. I'm so glad about your happy ending with your lovely husband and your show, all the things that you wanted, and also so much deserve. So that's also what makes it so happy because I think there was probably a lot of hard work that went in there. Yes, yes. I I would think like you can't, I don't don't know if you can just make the vision board and walk away. Um, (laughs) There was some effort that put me went into that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Happy, funny, amazing. And it was lovely to have you, Jen. Until we talk again. Bye-bye. Bye. I reached Jen at her home in Toronto. And it's worth noting that on her vision board, she mentioned she hoped to be on a show that won awards. Well, a few weeks back, the final season of Baroness Von Sketch Show won four Canadian Screen Awards. So congratulations to everyone involved. So well-deserved. If you want to see photos of Jen and her vision board, you can visit the Happy, Funny, Amazing podcast page on Instagram or Facebook. And now for a story from Dean Jenkinson. So hello, Dean, and thank you for coming on Happy, Funny, Amazing. Before we begin, why don't you tell us, is your story today happy, funny, or amazing? Hi, Joanne. Let's see. Hopefully it ends happy. Uh, There's a lot of not happy in it, and uh, hopefully there are funny moments. I'm hoping with you. Yeah, the story I wanted to tell you uh, is the story of how I came to accept an invitation to go for coffee with the man my wife cheated on with behind my back. (laughs) And it's a story, I I do stand up, of course, you know, and it's a story that I don't tell on stage because it's far too raw and personal and I, I don't have a ton of funny stuff to say about it. But just for context, we are no longer together. This happened in the fall of 2017. And since then, I've gone on to a new relationship, a uh, blended family with someone I'm very, very happy to be with. Yay. And our kids get along great and we get along great. And she is in a new relationship. So for some context, my wife at the time, she and I got married in 2008 and we had a kid in 2010 and another one in 2012. And then uh, in the fall of 2016, after some, you know, rough times, yeah. she announced she wasn't sure if she wanted to continue the marriage, taking Aww. me somewhat by surprise. I'm sorry. Um, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't want to uh, throw anybody under the bus. It takes two to make a good marriage and it takes two people to make a bad marriage. And with some hindsight, I have a lot of insight into how I contributed to making that a, not a fun experience for her or for me. And, uh, you know, I'm somebody who carries a lot of 
anxiety around in my head and is in my head and in my thoughts quite a bit. And uh, full disclosure, where some people might go to a cigarette or mm -hmm. a drink. Uh, ever since I was an adolescent boy, I would take that anxiety and stress to pornography. And it's something that I carried a deep amount of uh, shame about and probably still do. But I'm learning that by saying that out loud to people like you, it dispels a lot of that. And I'm not, I might not be the only one. There might I'm be other people say, out there. I don't think you're alone. And there's, and the access is pretty, you know, <laughs> it's pretty easy these days. So, but growing up in the, in the, in the home I did and with no sisters and sex not being something that was really talked about as a kid, it had this incredible ability to self medicate feelings. And uh, as much as you promise yourself, this is a phase and you'll move through it and you'll go on and be in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn that sometimes you tell yourself things that aren't true. So this was something that she was aware of going into the marriage and something we talked about. And then it was something that we stopped talking about. And she assumed that uh, it was no longer going on with any kind of regularity. And sometimes it wasn't going on with any kind of regularity. And sometimes it was. But if she didn't ask me directly, how are you doing with that? I found it very difficult to volunteer Hey, this afternoon while you were at work, I was trying to get stuff done and I was finding no progress with it. So what I went and did is found some porn on the internet and then I was able to relax and get some work done. Right. I am. I just, I just have to stop and say that I, I'm, I'm really impressed with your courage to talk about it and to, to be so open. Yeah. Well, I guess my rule of thumb has been since the end of the marriage that if I'm going to disclose to somebody that my wife cheated on me. I should give some context to that because, yeah. you know, so she was in a relationship where my sex drive and her sex drive didn't always line up. And she told herself a lot of stories about why that might be. And I didn't provide the answers that would have given her a lot of clarity. Right. Right. So fall of 2016, she announces she's not happy. We start going to some therapy. She's got one foot in the door and one foot out the door. The therapist is like, what are we here to do? I'm like, we're here to save the marriage. She's like, ah. I don't know if that's what we're here for. Right. And uh, so in this time of her being one foot out the door and one foot in the door, she starts a relationship with a coworker Aww. and uh, that goes on for a few more months. And then in the spring of 2017, she announces, I can't uh, do this anymore. I just have to go. I just have to go be alone. At this point, do you know about the relationship with the coworker? So, um, no. So she announces she's done and I tell her, you know, so as, as soon as in the fall, she told me, I, I'm, I'm really thinking I'm not happy. First thing I do when I walk into the therapist's office is I bleh, barf out the story that I just told you, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what's happening in our relationship. Here's what I haven't been able to share with her recently. Here's the context that she doesn't have. And I put that right on the table because I want to fix this and I want to make this work because I've told myself the story. If this marriage doesn't survive, I will never be happy again. I will forever be broken. This relationship will forever be broken. My children will grow up in two different homes. Their lives will be changed forever for the worst. And I tell myself, I have to have to fix this mm -hmm. or I will always be unhappy. And I've learned that's not true, right? That's not yeah. true. So when she announces she's done, I say to her, so I come clean and I say, um, just so you know, something that I've been talking about with the therapist is this. And I have been struggling and I have struggled recently and I have struggled on and off throughout our marriage. And she is angry and furious. And why didn't you share this with me? And I would have, we could have worked on it together and blah, 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 blah. And she's so hurt and angry that I kept this from her. 
And I understand that. Mm-hmm. 24 hours later, I see her in the backyard on her phone and she comes in and she says, I have something to tell you because I want you to hear this from me and not from anybody else. But my coworker and I have been caught by other coworkers. <gasps> and so I don't want you to find out about it through the grapevine. I've been seeing someone. We are in a relationship and you need to hear this from me and not them. So I think there was a, a time for, you know, a few weeks in that in the wake of those two revelations where I'm like, all right, everybody's cards are on the table. I've kept secrets. You've kept secrets. I've hurt you. You've hurt me. Maybe we can just call it even and try to start fresh. And she doesn't want that. She says, I want to keep seeing this guy. So this guy becomes a boogeyman in my head because I've never met him. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know how he, you know, anything about him. But you build up this boogeyman in your head, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then she found a house of her own and she moved out and we made a deal financially to, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can over time buy out your share of the equity that we put into the home. And so I don't have to sell it and move somewhere because at the end of the day, I'm just kind of lazy and lack inertia. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I don't have to pack everything up and go somewhere else. And yeah. So anyway, those months are really hard. So I get a phone call from her one day while she's having her week with the kids saying, can you please come to the hospital? My mom's in the hospital. I need you to take the kids. We don't know what's going on. And when they find out what's going on, I guess she had, she was being treated for chronic uh, leukemia and had survived breast cancer years ago. And the leukemia treatment had left her immune system vulnerable to a very rare brain virus that otherwise your body can just dispel. Yeah. And the prognosis is not good. She may have weeks to live. She may have months to live, but she doesn't have years to live. And, um, So my ex is a nurse and she takes it upon herself to say, well, I can't save my mother, but what I can do is I can give her a good death. And uh, in that moment of her telling me this, I recalled something that I saw on an afternoon Oprah type show or read in a book or a magazine article, which basically had great guidelines for when something traumatic happens, how you should behave. And there's something really hard going on, like a death or an illness or some kind of tragedy. Somebody's house burns down. Think of the person it's happening to. They're in the center of the circle. Think of the people immediately around them. They're in the next circle of intimacy and sort of try to place yourself where you think you are in those circles of intimacy. And if you have something to complain about, about this shitty situation, your job is to complain further out the circle. Oh, interesting. Right. And I remember hearing that and going, oh my gosh, that makes a ton of sense. Right. So complain out and comfort in. So anybody who's further on the inside of the circle, isn't that great? I love that. So that was really good. Really good advice. So I remember saying, okay, so your job, Dean, over these next few months is to stop thinking about how this person has hurt you. And how you, you know, want to complain about the pain that she's caused you. Your job now is she's definitely right on the inside of those circles. So if you can't comfort her, at least don't complain to her. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was proud of myself in those weeks for never screwing up until the day I screwed up. Okay. And I remember it was uh, Halloween of 2017. 
And I was sitting at home doing my work because I work remotely and I work uh, on my computer at home, which doesn't make stress relief. <laughs> right? doesn't make me dealing with uh, that any easier yeah. right? when you're working at home. I remember a very funny tweet, which is I don't go to uh, Starbucks to write because I want people to see me writing. It's because I can't bring up porn at Starbucks when I can't find the next sentence, right? <laughs> That's why I go to Starbucks to work. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Anyway. Although I'm sure people have done it. I don't <laughs> I'm sure, sure people have tried. <laughs> so I'm sitting there working and I get a text from my ex and I read it and it's clearly sent to the wrong person. It's meant for the other guy. Oh, and it's and it doesn't say anything right terribly alarming. It's just like, are you sure, babe? Or something like that, right? She's hit she's somehow got my window open and she replied, she thought she was replying to him. She's replying to me. And I text back, wrong person. And she goes, ha, 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 sorry. And I say, it's really not funny, right? Because it's still very triggering to think about them or to hear his name or to have my kids say, the other day, me and Bill played video games and I just want to put my fist through a wall, right? Yeah. So. Have you met him by this point? I have not met him. Okay. So that's even worse because yeah. probably still like boogeyman territory. Yeah. I had a, I had a moment where I like figured out who he was online. Like I went into her Instagram account and looked down the list of people following her on Instagram and found the right first name and texted her. Is it first name, last name? And she said, why? And I said, thank you. <laughs> and it freaked her right out. And then I messaged him and said, uh, hi, I'm uh, I'm Dean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm her husband. And he's like, oh, hey, I've heard about you. I'm like, yeah, I bet you have. Oh so he kind of came across as a bit of a glib uh, prick in my first <laughs> online interaction. But I don't think there's anything he could have said to me that would have endeared me to him anyway. Yeah. So whatever. So I haven't met. Him. But she sends me this text and it kind of triggers me and it kind of gets my brain fired up and, and going in circles. And I take it upon, I, I take this moment as an opportunity to pick up the phone and tell her something that's been on my mind. And I pick up the phone and I say, listen, I've been thinking about what happens when there's a funeral. I don't want the first time I meet this guy to be at your mom's funeral. Right. So if he's going to be there, I can't come. And she says, okay, don't come. And I've known her mom for 20 years. Yeah. And she's a, a wonderful person. And she and I loved each other very much. And when my ex and I separated, she asked me, my ex asked me, hey, don't contact my parents, please. Let them be there for me. Let them not have their loyalties divided. Let them not hear both sides of the story. Let them just be there to support me. Right. Okay, fine. So... I haven't spoken to her mom in about a year, but she's going to die. And I have a choice of showing up at this funeral and meeting the guy or not showing up. So I am angry. And I say to her, that is really shitty of you, right? He's known her for less than a few months. I know he's there for you right now. Certainly he could step back for a couple hours so that I could attend the service and say goodbye to the person who's been my mother-in-law for eight, 10 years. And she's like, what do you want me to say? He's going to be there. Your choice is your choice. 
and and we go back and forth for a little bit with me getting my back up and it ends with her saying why the fuck am i on the phone with you anyways i'm gonna go inside and take care of my dying mother you selfish asshole basically right not word for word and i hang up the phone and i realized oh shit i just complained into the circle so i text her immediately and i apologize the text sent me off I, you know, I've been thinking about whether I could go to the funeral or not, or if he was going to be there. I'm sorry for the way I got my back up. Blah. Sorry. Yeah. And I, and I leave it alone. And that night, her mom dies. Oh God. And I'm I so find, sorry, by the I, way, for your loss. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, it's, uh, it's very kind of you to say. So I find out that she's passed away. Because I get a, a, a series of texts at like, I can't remember, it may have been a midnight or two in the morning or something, just telling me what a selfish asshole I am and how I make everything about me, everything about me and what I go through. And this is just a wonderful reminder of why she never wants to be with me and how we are not friendly anymore. Uh, we, you know, there's been some cooperation over the summer. That ends. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. We'll pass the kids back and forth. That's it. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you a million times. Fuck you. Right. And reading it was such an incredible release, I found. Because it was so angry and so over the top. And I was the lightning rod for all the pain Mm -hmm. that it just made me realize, you know what? I am not that person that she's telling me I am. I made a mistake that I apologized for immediately. And, you know, in time she may see that she may not, but I realized in that moment, I no longer care what she thinks about me. I am entirely liberated from your opinion. So there's happy. There's happy right there. (laughs) And uh, the funeral comes and goes. Happens to be seven days later, which happens to be my birthday. I have a wonderful birthday. And I wake up thinking, you know, a week ago, and that was the other thing in this text is you're no longer welcome there. Do not come to the funeral. You are no longer welcome. Right. So I wake up that morning knowing today's the funeral. I am not invited. I am very much uninvited. I no longer have a decision to wrestle with. I no longer have an ex whose new boyfriend I have to see there. And so I go about my day and I celebrate it with the people I'm close to. And it was a wonderful day. And I was very grateful. And then uh, I can't remember just how much later, but he kind of reaches out to me over, you know, Facebook Messenger says, hey, listen. I heard about what happened about the funeral. I feel really bad about it. I know I'm the cause of a lot of pain in your life and tumult and whatever else. If you're interested, if you're willing, I would be, do you want to meet and get a coffee and we can sort of talk it out? We can bury the hatchet, right? Something like that. And so I tell him, uh, sure, because I think... You know, I know what it's been like to imagine this boogeyman in my head. And I figure whatever, whoever I meet, at least I'll know. Right. Yeah. 
So we, we set a time and a date, but maybe an hour before we're scheduled to meet, he texts and he says, listen, I just want you to know, I'm not going to put up with you telling me off or being disrespectful or anything else, right? If any of that goes on, I'm just, I'm just going to leave, right? I'm not going to show up and be your punching bag or however he phrased it. And I was like, in my head, I said, I, I don't think there's anything more disrespectful than fooling around behind another guy's back with his wife. <laughs> but I didn't text that. I said, I understand. I have no intention. I'm just going to show up and we'll talk. And so I go and I get there first and I sit down with my coffee and somebody comes in that I think that's probably him based on the photos I've seen on, on Facebook and he grabs his coffee and he sits across from me. And, uh, I had no plan. I had no plan for what I was going to say, but his first question is, uh, what can I do for you? And I had no idea how to answer that question. Right. And I said, anything that I would like you to do, you've already made clear you're not prepared to do, which is screw off and find another pair of kids to, you know, co-parent for a week and someone else's, right? Yeah. Go find your own family, basically. So I don't say that. I just say everything that I, I want from you, you've already told me you don't want to do. And then he suggests you want to just grab our coffees and we'll just go for a walk. Let's we'll go walk around the block rather than sit here squared off, you know, <laughs> face to face. <laughs> we'll get shoulder to shoulder and we'll we'll move forward in the direction. And so we go and um, like I did with you, I told him, you know, I'm sure you've heard all about me and all the terrible things that I am and, uh, and said, I know all the mistakes or a lot of the mistakes I've made and, and the ways I hurt her. And I've told her, I'm sorry for all of that. And, you know, I was honest with him about uh, my shortcomings, you know, learned a bit about his story and his family growing up and uh, how he got to be where he got to be. And, um, yeah. And then at the end of it, I'm trying to, I don't remember a whole lot from the conversation, but we probably talked for like, you know, 45, 50 minutes, but he did tell me she didn't know that I had reached out to you. She didn't know that I was going to come here today, but she saw me texting this morning and she asked who I was texting. And when I was cagey about it, she looked at my phone and saw I was texting you and said, don't do this. This is a very bad idea. This is a very, very bad idea. A very bad idea. This is not going to end well. This is not going to result in anything good. But, uh, you know, he said, I came anyway, and I'm glad I did. And I said, I'm, I'm glad you did too. I said, you know, about the question that you asked me, what can you do for me? When I went and picked up the kids from my in-law's house a few weeks ago, I noticed there was a very skillfully built ramp to allow a wheelchair to go into that back door through the garage. And I said, I assume you built that. And he said, yeah, I did. And I said, something that I have always wanted was to be handy with my hands. And I'm not, I'm good with words sometimes. And, uh, you know, that's where I make my living is in my head and with a page and a keyboard, but I've always admired and been envious of people who could build things with their hands. Cause when I try, it doesn't really go well. And I understand maybe if I tried again, it might go better. And maybe it's just with more experience, I would get good at it, but I don't, and I don't have anybody to mentor me in that skill. I said, if you were willing 
Next time you were building something, next time you're doing something, next time you were installing something to give me a call, I would happily lend my hands if you would teach me. And that's something that I would accept from you. If you're asking something you could do for me. And he agreed. And the sad end to the story is that never came to be that um, some number of months later, she and him broke up for reasons that I don't care to know. And she's in another relationship with somebody else and God bless him. But I didn't get to learn how to build from this man. But what I did get from this man was I got to meet him in person. I got to look in his eyes. I got to hear his words and I got to put a face to a name and, and realize he's just a guy and he's just, he's not, you want to, I think there was during this painful period um, when the two of them just existed in my imagination, I remember tweeting, there's no better sex in the world than the sex your ex and her new guy are having inside your own head. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then you meet the guy in person and you're like, all right, you're just, you're just a guy. You're just a dude. It, it was very freeing to sit down and meet him. And, you know, in the time that he was still in my kids' lives, he would be there when I would come to pick them up and I'd say hi to him and maybe shake his hand. He would come to the house and pick them up to start their week with the kids and I could say hi to him. And it didn't fill me with rage and anger and disgust or anything else. It just washed all that away. And, uh, and it was a very cathartic meeting. So whatever she was imagining when she said this is a bad idea didn't come to pass. And it sounds <laughs> like it changed you that moment. Yeah. You know, I definitely, like I'm trying to remember who I would have. It may have been my parents. It may have been my parents that I said afterwards, like I went and I talked to them and I'm really glad I did. And I feel a ton better. Like I feel so much better and such a weight off your shoulders, you know, because as somebody who lives in their head, when you have that kind of story going on and yeah. you have to fill in all the blanks, you can really torture yourself, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a testament to the world that we live in right now, how much things would be different if people talked a little bit mm -hmm. more rather than just believed what they believe of people. Yeah. hundred percent. I never thought of it that way, but a hundred percent. So, Dean, at the beginning of this story, you said, you know, it goes into some sad places, and it did, but you hope that it ends happy. So I'm curious, from your perspective, having told that whole story, for you, because this is your story, mm -hmm. what is, in your mind, the happy ending? What is the good that came out of, if there is any, the sort of the change and, and the pain and struggle. I'd be curious in an alternate reality where none of this happens, how long I could have stayed in this horrible place, torturing myself and wanting something that was irretrievably broken to be fixed and wanting to hate somebody because in my mind, they were the source of my suffering. Right. And so, yeah, the happy ending is Things being brought to a head, things being put out into the open, and an ending being brought to that chapter and starting the new beginning. I'm, I'm a much happier person, and I'm grateful for the things that led me where I am today, even if they were painful lessons and even if they were horrible. And, uh, you know, 
I remember being in a therapy session and saying like, if, if that had to happen for me to get here, maybe if you do a tiny bit of mental gymnastics, I can tell myself I'm grateful to that guy for his part in this, maybe. And she's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, Dean, first of all, thank you so much for telling me that story. I'm sure it's a very difficult story to tell. I can tell that it was a difficult story for you to tell. So I appreciate you telling it. And I think it has a very happy ending for you to get through such a difficult time. Thank you so much for coming on Happy, Funny, Amazing. Thank you for asking. It was a pleasure to tell you my story. It was so nice to see you. Bye. Bye. Have a great day. I reached Dean at his home in Winnipeg where they recently announced the Winnipeg Comedy Festival will be happening this year, live, from October 5th to 10th, 2021. Fingers crossed. I feel good about it. If you're enjoying Happy, Funny, Amazing, please consider subscribing, liking, or reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts, or sharing the podcast with your friends on social media. Thank you again to John Bartman for the music, to Jen Whalen and Dean Jenkinson for the stories, and to you for listening. I hope you have a happy, funny, amazing week. Bye. And Dean Jenkinson, artistic director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and very frequent guest. And very freak. And Dean Jenkinson, artistic director of the Winnipeg. And Dean Jenkinson, artistic director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and very frequent guest. and very frequent guest on CBC Radio's hit show, The Debatos, and Dean Jenkinson, artist, and Dean Jenkinson, artistic director of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and very frequent, frequent guest, and very frequent, and very frequent, 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 and very frequent guest on CBC Radio's hit show, The Debaters.